stay standing as I read tonight's teaching text, and it will be on the screen for you guys to follow. This is uh, the story of the Magi coming to worship Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets have written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream by God not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> and to those of you on the other side of the room, my back's going to be to you the whole night, but we have this wonderful screen, so you get to watch me from a screen tonight. Does that sound good? I love you over there, okay? So thanks for being here. Uh, for those of you who uh, participated in the ugly Christmas sweater contest, which was about 10% of you in the room, I am so thankful, and, uh, so, but we got to get cracking tonight, so we're going to get going. Does that sound good? Okay, so um, one of the things that uh, I feel like I experience in my life and I see all over the place, and you could probably relate with this, is that anytime there is an arrival of a new authority, whether it be like a teacher or a boss or any sort of political leader, it always creates different responses in people. Have you noticed that? Whenever a new authority comes into the scene, it always creates different type of responses in people. Uh, some people just flat out don't care. They're like, great, new teacher, new political leader, new boss, I'm just going to keep doing my thing. Uh, if you know this, some people feel threatened by a new political authority, where there's like this like, kind of panic of like, oh my gosh, this is going like, to absolutely change everything. Like, how many of you experienced that, where like, a new boss comes into town and like, the whole office starts to panic? It's just like, the, the, the whole norm is going to be disrupted. So some people feel threatened by a new authority coming into a space. Uh, some people just flat out embrace the new reality for what it is. Whether they like it or not, whether they're, like, they're celebrating this reality or they're just not the biggest fan, they just go, this is how life is now, this is the reality, we're just going to settle into it. Uh, I remember when uh, Joe Biden became president, I was having a conversation with somebody, I will not say their name, plus you wouldn't know them anyway, so it, would be, it works. Uh, but I remember when Joe Biden became president, I was having a conversation with somebody, and uh, I just, I don't even remember what the conversation was about, but... Politics got brought up. It wasn't even argumentative. And I just said, President Joe Biden. And they interrupted me and they said, it's not my president. I was like, whoa. 
like, Joe Biden's not my president. I was like, well, that's, well, one, he is, because he's literally the president of the United States. And two, that's a very gracious Christian answer to the new reality. And I remember in that moment, what I started to realize is whenever there's the, a new figure or new authority, especially when it comes to somebody like a president who's like the big time person in a country or a nation, it always creates massive tension in people. Have you noticed that? Anybody noticed the last 2020, the tension? How many of you are excited about it in 2024? <laughs> but that's exactly what happens. And here's the thing. Even me just talking about politics or talking about a president or saying whatever, it already creates a tension in you in the room. And you're like, what is he about to say? What's the point that he's about to make? Here's the thing. That is a small, small, small flavor and a hint of the tension that was created in the world when Jesus was born into the world. That was the reality. When Jesus was born into this world, when the Christ, when news started to spread amongst the people of Jerusalem, amongst the citizens of Rome, it created an absolute massive tension in people. It was excitement for some, it was fear for others, and it was just this whole kind of cultural current that started to happen. And I think one of the disservices that I actually have to wrestle against, and I'm sure you do as well, is uh, Christmas and the arrival of Christ, it's become like this cute little thing, you know? It's like you got your little nativity scene and baby Jesus is just so sweet there in the middle. And I'm like, I have an eight-month-old. I know it's not sweet little baby. It's like, that's like 10% of the time. But it's just been so like kind of like it's mild. It's just kind of like painted over. It's like, isn't this so beautiful? Um, and I remember, um, I remember thinking about this. I'm like, I, in my heart, have to fight against the commercialization of this whole reality, this world-changing, pivotal moment in history where the Jewish Christ, the promised king of the world, was actually born into reality. Can you resonate with this? And here's why. For those of you who are new to Christianity and some of you who are, have been followers of Jesus know this, uh, but the word Christ, uh, it literally means anointed king. And so when news started to spread that the Jewish Christ was born into the world, it immediately turned heads of everybody at that time. They're like, who's been born? The Christ? Because that word means anointed king. So if you just read, open your Bible, and every single you say Jesus Christ, we're like, you know, we just say it. But if you just say Jesus the king, you just over and over in the New Testament, you're going to see Jesus Christ, Jesus the king, Jesus the king. And the Christ for the Jewish people is God made a promise to his people, Israel, and said that one day there would be a king that would come into the world. And not only would he be king of just the Jewish people, just of Israel, but he would be Lord over the whole of all the nations. That he would reign over every single person for all eternity past, over all eternity future. And so when these rumors started to, to come about and King Herod hears this in the story and the Magi hear this and Israel hears this and the leaders hear this, all of a sudden all these rumors start to come. Because what people are hearing, you just got to understand this, what people are hearing is the Jewish claim that the one final authority... The person with the final authority over all authority, all authority, the world's final judge, that every single human being, past, present, and future, will stand before at some time in the future, the world's final ruler has arrived on the scene. Can you imagine the tension that that created in the world? And here's the thing tonight. 
I just felt like what God put on my heart in this Christmas season, and yes, we talked about this, but I want to talk about peace and Jesus like being king. Jesus being Lord means, Jesus, that means peace is reigning because Jesus is the, peace, uh, the prince of peace. Jesus being Lord means justice will reign in the end. Jesus being Lord means love and beauty and all these things will reign. But Jesus being Lord primarily had to do with authority of who's in charge of this world and who's in charge of my life. And I felt like Jesus was saying, you need to create that tension in them. The same tension that everybody had to wrestle with, that we just sing songs, Jesus goes, I want you to create that tension and I want you to do it from this story because I actually think that these nativity stories, what they're trying to do is create the attention of the, the authors of the scriptures, what Jesus' claim is, is that I am Lord over all things and how are you gonna respond? How are you going to respond to Jesus being king over the world right now? So what I wanna do tonight is I want to talk about three different ways that our hearts, whether you're a Christian or not, three different ways that our hearts can respond to Jesus being Lord over our lives. And I just want to say this, if you don't have a quake in your bones when you hear this, if you don't have like a shudder in your heart, you really don't understand the significance of what actually happened in Christmas. And the fight for us tonight, and I think the fight for you, and the fight for us forever moving forward, especially for those of us who are familiar with the Christmas story, is to hear this afresh and go, geez, something really significant happened when the Christ was born into the world. Does that make sense? So let's work through these things briefly in this time, and uh, we'll apply it to our lives, and then we'll continue to worship tonight. So the first thing that we see in this story, Matthew chapter 2, the story of the Magi, is that the first type of heart that we can have when we hear that Jesus is king and when we hear that announcement and that reality takes place is that there is an intimidated and hostile heart to Jesus being king. This is seen in uh, uh, King Herod's response in the story. Do you notice when, he, when King Herod heard that King Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it said in verse three that he was disturbed. Why do you think Herod was disturbed? Because Jesus, he knew, even though he wasn't a Jew, and uh, even though he knew uh, that these Jewish people had this belief that this Christ, this king was been born, it, he knew that there was gonna be an authority clash. And so what happens is, and just to help you understand this a little bit better, uh, Herod, so Herod, uh, he was king of Israel and Judah. And so at this time, uh, Israel was taken over by the Roman Empire. And Caesar, who was, quote, the Lord and Savior, offering uh, a society and a kingdom of justice and peace, was declared to be Lord over the entire world. Like, so I, I, we don't live in this reality, but there was a human being Caesar, and like he is Lord over all things. And so what happened was, is Caesar placed King Herod to be king of the Jews. And so in a sense, King Herod is like an extension of the, quote, lordship of Caesar in this time. And so when he hears about the birth of Christ, he's immediately intimidated and he's immediately threatened because he knows if Jesus is king, then that means that I'm not. If Jesus is king, that means that I'm not. And what happens is, Herod is threatened because his throne is threatened. And so there's two quick, two quick things that we see in this that I just want to gloss over. The first one is this, is that Jesus, the lordship of Jesus Christ and his birth into the world, it, it threatens political thrones. And, uh, and what I want us to understand about this is that what the Christian claim is, and this is why it was so offensive when Jesus showed up on the scene, is that what Jesus said and what the implications of who he said he was 
means that all leaders and all authorities, all figures over every single nation has now a duty to acknowledge Christ as their Lord. And there's an accountability to go like, okay, my position, my power, and how I use my platform has to be in submission to Jesus. Either accept that or I'm hostile towards that. And we'll see that Herod, he goes on to kill all the uh, babies that were two years and younger uh, when he gets news of this because he is threatened by Jesus. And although we may not be King Herod's, we may not be king's, one of the things that I think we have to wrestle with is that Jesus threatens our personal thrones. Jesus threatens our personal thrones. Now, we don't live in a culture with a king or with a quote-unquote lord, but we live in a culture right now that says, you're king. You're lord. It's, it's your mind. It's your body. It's your soul, it's your sexuality, it's your plans, it's your money. Don't let anybody else tell you what to do with it. And so what culture has said is, like, there's not one Lord, there's not one king overall, you're your own king. And the claim of Jesus being the Christ is that if Jesus is on the throne, that includes the throne of our life, and that includes the throne of our hearts. The reality is, there is a Herod that lives inside every single one of us. There is a Herod that lives inside every single one of us where we feel like at some level Jesus is threatening something in our hearts. Let me just ask you this, and I'm just gonna put it straight forward. In what ways is Jesus threatening your throne right now? What part of your life right now do you go, Jesus, you can have that part of my life, you can have this part of my life, don't you dare touch that. What part of your heart, what in your, what your body, your sexuality, your plans, your time. What is Jesus saying to you right now that is threatening your throne? Because what we see in the story is that King Herod goes, I'm threatened by you, I'm hostile towards you, and I want you absolutely out of my life. Uh, I think it's funny because sometimes we'll, we'll, people will think, like Jesus got crucified because he like, said that he could forgive sins. And Believe me, the Jewish people did not like that, and that gave them reason to. But Jesus wasn't ultimately crucified because he was like, hey guys, what's up? You know, I'm God, showed up on the scene. Just want you to know, I've known you messed up. I see it, but I'm gonna forgive you, you know? And people are like, crucify it. Like, it wasn't that. Jesus got crucified by the Roman leaders because he showed up on the scene and he goes, my kingdom is reigning over all kingdoms, and it includes yours. And Rome goes, get out of our heart get out of our hearts, get out of our society, get out of our life. We're gonna execute you and put you to death. And so Jesus goes, what part of your heart is hostile to my reign? Do you feel the tension of the nativity story yet? If not, okay, we'll go to the second point. The second thing that we see is there's, there's first, first of all, there's the intimidated and then there's the hostile heart. The second thing that we see is that there is an indifferent and apathetic heart. And this is the most fascinating one to me and the one that just really hit me afresh when I was studying this and praying through this. And this is seen by, it's kind of like uh, assumed a little bit, but it's, it's seen from the citizens of Jerusalem in the story. Now, I wanna use an illustration to make a point. Okay, so uh, many of you are single in the room and that's why you're here. 
and uh, we're, we're, I'm glad you're here, <laughs> but uh, we're first and foremost here about Jesus. But I just want to say, okay, if I, if I told you, just, just go with me here, if I told you that six miles down the road, okay, so like six miles away, I think is like downtown Chandler from here, like something like that, South 202, downtown Chandler. If I told you that, hey, right now, six miles away down the road is your future spouse, you can go and see him right now. There would be road rage. <laughs> it would be the fastest ending to the 710 night that I've ever seen. The lingering, like, you know, like, there would literally, like, there, there'd be no PRs on your 10K, like, you're going six miles, like, you'd be, you would be flying out of your seat. Would you not? <laughs> you guys would. <clears throat> okay, here's what's ridiculous about that. The Jewish people at this time have been waiting a thousand years for their king to show up. They've been like sitting in anticipation. They have been experiencing oppression. They have been experiencing executions from the Roman Empire. They've been told you are nobodies. And they have been waiting and waiting and waiting. And they've been promised your king's coming. He's going he's gonna to save you. He's going to rescue you. He's going to crush your oppressor. All nations are going to acknowledge that your God reigns when the Christ shows up. And then all of a sudden, the Magi come to the leaders of the Jerusalem people, which means that there were citizens being a part of that, and they tell them, that person has been born six miles away. You know what they say? Mm. Send somebody else. Go tell us what happens. They hear that the king has been born, and they just go, eh. Do you guys sense how shocking that is? their king, their lord, their rescuer, their savior, and they just go, send somebody else six miles south down to Bethlehem and tell us what happens. Um, the indifferent heart says this, says, well, I'm not against Jesus. Like, I, I'm not against him. You know, like, I'm, I'm totally cool with him being lord of, like, parts of my life. I'm totally cool with him, like, doing his thing. Like, he does his thing, I'll do my thing. And there's just kind of this indifference to Jesus being king. You, the indifferent heart sings songs like this and goes, wow, that was a nice song. The indifferent heart goes, oh man, like I didn't really like that song. Doesn't catch the significance of Jesus being Lord and king and the authority. Do you, you sense what I'm saying? And here's what's, here's what's interesting. The most dangerous place to be in, I think, is the indifferent place because, the, because it's in... The reason why is because it's the most deceptive place. The indifferent heart, it's, it's dangerous because it's deceptive. Because here's the thing, indifference is still resistance. Indifference is still a resistance to the reign of Christ in our world. And here's why. Because it's, 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 it's still a hostility that's coded in kindness. You know what I'm saying? It just packages it way better and it's way more clever and it's way more self-deceptive to me and it's way more self-deceptive to others. But the indifferent heart goes, okay, like Jesus, your Lord, oh, that's, so, that's great. I'm doing my thing. I'm just kind of not into it. But it still won't, here's why it matters. It's still, the indifferent heart still won't submit itself under the authority of Jesus. It still won't go, it still won't place itself under Jesus. It just hides it in apathy and indifference. Does that make sense? So there's this indifference that leads to an apathy and this apathy that still leads to a rejection. And then let me ask you this question. First question, where in your life are, are you hostile to the reign of Christ? And the question that the citizens of Jerusalem asks us in this story that the Spirit wants us to see is where in your life 
are you apathetic to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ? Where in your life right now are you apathetic to Christ's kingdom? Do you feel the tension of the Christmas story yet? We got one amen. You're not indifferent. <laughs> that's great. All right, let's go, let's go to a positive one because that'll be better. Um, okay, the third thing that we see, and this is, this is honestly the exciting part of the story that I'm uh, ready to share with you, is the story uh, of the Magi. And the Magi represent the humble and worshipful heart that it starts off intrigued. Oh my gosh, there's a king being born. And then it leads to a place of humility and they worship Jesus as king. Uh, okay, so let me ask this. Some, some of you have been raised in the church and, uh, you know, these, these people have been called magi or uh, how many of you know by like wise men? The reason they're called wise men is because they were the, like, the, the intellectual elite of the day. Now today, we don't call like magicians or astrologers like the intellectual elite. Maybe you do, but generally speaking, we have, a, we have a more rationalistic society right now. That's just not how we think about things. But the Magi were the intellectual elite of the day. They were magicians. They were astrologers. So they just loved to look up in the sky and just, you know, however that works and make predictions. And uh, so in other words, these were, the Magi were pagan sorcerers. So if you put yourself in the story, they were the most unlikely to come and worship Jesus. This is not the point of the sermon, but I'm going to make it now. In this story, the most likely will not worship Jesus, and the most unlikely are found bowing at his feet. But the Magi, they're sinful, they're pagan sorcerers. In the Old Testament, they would have to be put to death because of their sorcery. It was idolatry. Uh, They were excluded from the people of God. And uh, people like Magi, they believed, I love this, that remarkable events among the heavens meant that a remarkable event was happening on earth. So they go outside, they're like, wow, that's pretty remarkable. There must be remarkable something happening down here. And here's the thing, this time they were right. This time they were right. Uh, In this time, uh, a lot of scholars believe that there was an aligning of two planets, that is Jupiter and Saturn, and it's pretty much placed right at the exact time of the birth of Jesus. And so it could have created the type of star that's being described in the story. We don't know, but that is one thought on this. And the reason why I really like this, uh, this thinking is because in this time, Jupiter uh, signified royalty. So like if you were an astrologer and you see Jupiter, uh, you're like, that, that's the star of royalty. And then uh, Saturn represented the Jewish people, right? So when there was an aligning of Jupiter and Saturn, the Magi went, the royalty of the Jewish people is being born right now. The king of the Jews, the Christ, is being born. And so they knew that the king of the Jews and the Lord of the nations, according to our astrology, is being born, and they make a long journey to go see Jesus. Now, this isn't like the six-mile run down to Bethlehem. Uh, Some scholars say, I've heard up to like two years it takes for them to go see Jesus. I don't know if it's actually that long. It might be more realistic that it took them 40 days to go. Imagine, I ain't making a 40-day journey for anybody. They make a 40-day journey to go see Jesus, and when they arrive, they see the baby who's probably a young toddler at this point, and they bow down, and they worship him, and they offer their gifts. And what's incredible about this story is the gifts that they offer are the gifts that you only offer kings of that day and of gods. Think about that for a second. The pagan astrologers, the wizards, the people that don't believe the stuff the Jewish people do, they come, they bow down, 
they worship and they offer gifts that's only associated with kings of that day and of God's. So let me go through this really quick. The gold at that time is the medal of royalty and kings, and so when they offer Jesus gold, they're saying, Jesus, you have the right to rule. When they offer uh, frankincense and incense, incense was that time, it was used at that time to, it was like accompanied in worship of God's. Uh, it was also mixed with uh, oil to anoint the Jewish high priest at that time. So whether they recognize it or not, there's some sort of worship in offering incense to Jesus. Uh, I don't know what they were actually thinking in their minds. And in a way, we could probably read back in that story and say, in a, in a way, they're saying, Jesus, you are our high priest. Uh, and then when they offer myrrh, they're offering the gift of death, which is very interesting because myrrh was used to embalm dead bodies. And isn't it interesting they give myrrh to a baby? And it's a way of saying that you will die for people's sin. And so they're intrigued. They're full of humility. They go and they worship and they bow down before Jesus and they say, you are a king. We worship you. You are God and you will die for your people's sin. It's beautiful, isn't it? Um, the question that this story really asks us and it's really resonated with me. Let me ask you this. Which one of these realities resonates with your heart the most tonight? Because the reality is, if you're like me, all three of these things live in me. Are you a King Herod in this season? What characterizes you? Are you King Herod? Are you intimidated and hostile to what God is wanting to do in your life? Like there's a hard-heartedness towards what God is wanting to do? Uh, are you a citizen of Jerusalem, like God's trying to do stuff in your life right now, and you're just indifferent and apathetic? You'd rather somebody else go check out what God is doing when God's calling you to something? Or are you a magi? You're the unlikely. You're the sinner. You're the person who's supposed to be excluded from the people of God. And yet you come and you worship before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here's what I will say, and it's so beautiful. When you are a magi, which if you're a Christian in the room, should be your deepest longing. You will take whatever journey it takes, no matter how hard it is, no matter how long it is, just to bow down and worship your king. You notice the Magi? They take whatever journey it takes, and I was just sitting in this before I was getting ready to teach it, and I was like, Corey, how much, what journey are you willing to take just to go and worship before your king? What type of devotion is in you? What type of, what type of appetite is in you? Will you, take, will you do whatever it takes just to come and bow down and worship your king? Do you have that type of reverence, devotion, and seeking for him? And here's the thing, and when you find, when you're a magi, and when you take the journey, no matter how long it is or how hard it is, when you find him, you will offer your, guests, your gifts. And you will offer your best gifts. And we come before Jesus and we say, Jesus, I give you my gold, which means, Jesus, would you rule my life? Would you be my king? You offer your incense and you say, Jesus, I give you my worship. And you say, Jesus, I give you my myrrh, which means I choose to lay my life down and to die and to sacrifice for you and your kingdom. You give your gold, you give your frankincense, and you give your myrrh and you worship Jesus. And here's the best part. And once you have offered your gifts, like the Magi in the story who returned to their country by a different route, so will you. You will live life, and you will go home 
following a different path from the moment that you surrendered it to Christ. You will go home a different way. You will have a different path. You will have a different purpose because your life will now be lived for the praise of your new king. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We really do love you. And Jesus, I pray that you would create in us, Lord, an awe that we cannot create ourselves. Jesus, I pray that we would see you for who you are, Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I feel like we've been saying that all year, but Jesus, you really are. And Lord, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you, not partial authority, but Jesus, all authority in our lives has been given over to you. And so Jesus, um, minimally, we, we worship you because that is just true. Um, but Lord, we worship you not just because that is true, but we worship from a place of thankfulness, Lord, because you used your authority, Lord, not to, to punish people, but Lord, you used your authority to lay it down so that others would be given your life. And Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross. You, the King, went to the cross and were crucified by the kings of this world, Lord, so that we might have forgiveness in you, that we might be delivered from darkness, that we might be freed from the power of Satan and the power of sin. God, that we might be freed from the punishment of our sin and also because of the Holy Spirit, freed from its power. And Jesus, when you were raised from the dead, we know that the Prince of Peace reigns. We know that love reigns and we know that justice reigns. And so Lord, we sing tonight and we worship knowing that one day, Love, justice, and peace will permeate our world. And Jesus, you will be acknowledged by every single human being as the authority above all authorities, as the king above all kings. And you are a good king. So Jesus, we thank you that we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light, of Father of your beloved Son. And so Lord, we come tonight, we offer our gold and we ask Jesus that you would rule us. Jesus, we offer our incense and we give you worship. And Lord, we offer, Lord, our whole lives, our myrrh and say, Lord, we will die for you. We will die in every moment for you. We will die to our preferences, our will. And we are people who say, not my will be done, but Jesus, your will be done. And so Lord, I pray this in your name, amen.